A Fork on the Road is brought to you by GoDaddy. Well, they have everything you need to put your business online, find new customers, and kick butt online. They started by registering... says kick ass online. I don't want to say ass. But that's what GoDaddy wants you to say. No, I don't want to say GoDaddy's all that. about ass. Have you not seen Danica Patrick? She's fabulous. She is. Right, you can get you started by registering a domain name and creating your website with GoDaddy's easy-to-use website builder. Already have a site? Keep it running fast with GoDaddy web hosting. It's go time. Visit, Visit GoDaddy.com. Enter promo code FORK32 and save 32% on your new purchases. Some limitations apply. Always with See everything. See the website for details and then get ass kicking online. Get butt kicking with GoDaddy. Whatever. Welcome to another edition of A Fork on the Road Show. I am travel guru Mark DiCarlo, and to my left is the lovely and talented traveling diva, Yenny Alvarez. Hello. Got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking to Marlon Wayans about his uh, new movie, Haunted House 2. We're also going to be talking to the blind blues daddy, a really fantastic musician, uh, originally born in Milwaukee, and now he emanates from New Orleans, Brian Lee. We're going to be seeing Brian in a couple weeks down at the New Orleans Jazz Festival. We have a great in-depth interview with him. Very interesting guy. And uh, we're going to be talking about travel and food and all the stuff we talk about each and every week here on the show. If you've missed our shows in the past, don't worry. You can find them. You can find them on aforkontheroadshow.com. All of our shows are archived there. So if you missed our live show from Palm Desert, you can hear it there. Uh, last year, we were at the New Orleans Jazz Festival in April. We'll and we're going back this year. In two weeks. Can't wait. Next week, uh, I'll be down in Georgia. My friend Jimmy Palumbo and I are going to do a very special uh, segment from Atlanta Braves Ballpark, all about ballpark food. You don't want to miss that. That's going to be a great, he's going to be a great co-host. Jimmy in a ball field? Yes. yes. He's funnier than me, guys. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> And he's going to be eating, so he'll be he'll be doing two of his favorite things, eating and talking. Uh, so you don't want to miss that next week. And um, what else? Uh, oh, if you, if you want to suggest ideas for shows, give us a call on our uh, voice box. The number is 424-250-FORK. That's 424-250-FORK. Or you can email us through our website, which is a fork on the road. Or tweet us. I actually prefer that. Oh, the tweeting. is yeah. It's much cooler. It is. Yeah. It, you can tweet us at Mark DiCarlo or at Traveling Diva. It's also a great way to find travel deals and hotel deals. We get lots of insider travel tips and coupons. So if you're following us on uh, Twitter... You can get 10% off, 20% off. If a hotel's having a sale, you'll find out about it first through us. Twitter. Yeah. Speaking of, I just tweeted out uh, today, there is a great new app from Axis, A-X-A-X-S. They're going to be doing live broadcasts from the New Orleans Jazz Festival uh, this weekend, actually. And you get to see, yeah, and yeah. you get to see everything like it feels like if you were there because they do everything. They go backstage with mm -hmm. the musicians, they uh, shoot the shows. You won't see the entire show, but you'll see uh, a bunch of great songs. And uh, they interview people there. They take a look at the food. They show the food, and they show people eating the food, which is my favorite part. I know, but you can't hear food. Unless it's but you can see what chicken. you're missing out on, so you can plan True. for next year. Yeah, it's it looks like it's going to be a great app. Uh, they did a really nice job last year broadcasting 
from the festival. If, again, if you've never been to the jazz festival down in New Orleans, you should go. But we realize not everybody can go. So if you just want to experience it, you can watch it on AXS, AXS Network or get this app on your iPhone or Android and you can watch it live streaming wherever you happen to be and uh, make your friends jealous that you're all not there. Basically, we're your source for everything food and travel related. We're going to be going to all kinds of great festivals all over the country this summer. We're going to be in Chicago and San Francisco and Dallas and Austin and Atlanta and Buffalo and Akron and Wisconsin doing live shows all summer long, probably about two per month. So uh, as we talk about them, please make plans. Come and see us live. The live shows are uh, a lot of fun because you're there. And we can goof around and have a good time. So, on this week's show, Marlon Wayans, one of the really funny Wayans brothers, I had a chance to talk to him last week regarding his new upcoming movie, Haunted House 2, or A Haunted House 2. To be brutally honest, not the funniest movie I've ever seen. And a couple of parts in there were very inappropriate. Yeah, it's not a movie for kids. There's, it's not. There's a, there were kids there, though, when we saw it. Yeah, That's horrendous. It's called Horrible Parenting. Um... There are some funny, weird sex scenes with dolls that, you know, yeah. even yeah. I felt uncomfortable watching. Well, they, they got a, you know, three-second joke and stretched it out to three minutes, which, meh. That's the essence of comedy. Meh. Milk it till it don't give no more milk. So the movie is, it, it's it's okay. But he's funny. He's hilarious. He is funny. Marlon I, is they, a, I'm sure they let him improvise. I don't think any of it was scripted. Well, he wrote it. What's, uh, he wrote the script, but then didn't follow it. This is my talk with the very funny Marlon Wayans. How much improvising did you do on this movie? How did you write it? How did Because it looks like you guys were just going crazy on the set, you in particular. We do go crazy, and I do in particular. Um, the thing is, we wrote a really funny script, and so I just wish I would have actually read it. Yeah, Father actually did some lines for the script, and Rick, my uh, producer and writing partner, he's like, <laughs> dude, why don't you just like, <laughs> and he just looks at Mike like, Mike's like, is he gonna do, no, okay, we'll work around it. Because normally that just pisses like, off a writer, right? Oh, it pisses, I should be pissed off at myself, right. but you know, I'm not, I'm just like, I gotta rewrite it, because I don't trust it. Why? Because it's been on a page way too long. It I spoils. Damn! Now you see what I'm talking about. Right, don't kill me. You are a genius. I am bringing insight to you. If you write it on a page, it's spoiled. What you're doing right now is fresh and clean. You know what I'm talking right? about. Right? Favorite color? Green. See? I'm you didn't lying. write that it's, down. It's burnt orange. I just don't want to say because it it's a fall color and it seems very... I don't know. You look kind of like a fall. You know, you look more like an autumn green. Seriously? Yeah. Have you tell I've been losing some weight? I bet you in purple, though. Mm, sometimes. Like a fuchsia. Mm. Uh, would you say this is a movie for all ages? Um, I would say no. <laughs> okay, good. Um, but now with that said, I think it's... Okay, here's the pocket. I would say it's really for 17 to 50. Great. If you're in high school, I'm thinking it's a great date movie, right? If you're in high school... Oh my God, this hey. is the best date movie. But the only thing is, you got to bring your parents. Guardian. Me, I would. This is what I did. Tell like, me. I didn't bring my parents because my parents was not going to. So I would pay somebody like to be your daddy to just buy my ticket and then let me get in. And so I would definitely go see the movie. But nowadays, I went to the screenings. 
parents actually, because I do this, take their kids to see R-rated movies. Like, especially a comedy, they take their kids. I take my kids. I'm like, and my kids are like, this half the movie, but I'm like, open your eyes. You're missing the best part. The stuff animal sex is happening right now. You missed it. You and missed like, the doll. And they're like, Dad, you, I'm like, it's the doll. Don't worry about it. Like, that's not appropriate. I'm like, shut up. This is how you was born. See that move right there? That's the one I did for you. Make you. Uh, 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 that's the one that got you. That's the one that made you. That was all an accident. But man, like that move, man, that move. Your mama did that move. <laughs> that was all written. He's reading it off a card. I really am. <laughs> that was great. Thank you so much. Oh, we'll great. see you in Chicago. <laughs> They evidently had a script that he just didn't use. There you go. Uh, and we had a really great time in that interview. Lots of times when you do these junket interviews, the people are so bored because they've answered the same question 15 fucking times that day. So uh, They're happy when you get there. I always try and do something funny, and he was he's very playful. He's been on our uh, Chicago show, Windy City Live, several times. Very funny, really sweet guy. I guess if you're a huge Marlon Wayans fan, uh, go see the movie. If not, go see him in a club, because in, yeah. in a club, he's, uh, he's really very funny. Uh, as I said, uh, next week, I'm going to be down in Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to be doing a food segment from uh, Turner Field during a Braves game with my buddy uh, Jimmy Palumbo, the comedian, talking about ballpark food who has the best ballpark food, and we'll be talking to some Atlanta fans about what they like about baseball. And Do they still have hot dogs? Well, we'll have to find out. I'm guessing they still have hot dogs and peanuts and popcorn. Mm. We will find out. Peanuts. But every ballpark also has its own... Beer. Uh, yeah, here at Dodger Stadium, they have sushi and all kinds what? of stupid-ass... Who would not, order sushi the at same, a stadium? Yeah, the same idiots that go to Dodger games and don't Ugh. don't know when to clap or what's going on. I, they get there late and they leave early. Oh, my God. I grew up in Chicago. I grew up at Wrigley Field, basically, since before I can remember. And you don't have to tell people at Wrigley Field when to clap or when to boo or when to cheer. People actually watch the game and understand what the hell's going on in the field. At Dodger Stadium, it's it, it's it's the zombies. It's phone zombies. If they're not staring at their phone, they're staring at the big screen. And they actually have two giant Mickey Mouse hands that move together to tell people to clap. And that's the only time they clap. It's it's maddening. If you're a real baseball fan, going to Dodger Stadium, it just drives me nuts. And there's always fights there. Uh, you know, you've become a grumpy old man. I, you know what? I, I you have. I you've been to Dodger Stadium with me. Yeah, it's is boring. It, is Dodger Stadium the same as going to Wrigley Field? It's boring. Is it the same as going? No, it's not. Okay. Really feel people know what's going on. Yeah, Dodger it's Stadium, more family oriented, and the kids really look forward to going there and. So we'll yeah, it's prettier, too. We'll find out. We'll find out what Turner Field's about. We'll find out what people like to eat down at Atlanta, and we'll get a little Southern hospitality. Speaking of Southern hospitality, I had a chance to talk to one of the headlining acts from the New Orleans Jazz Festival. Uh, like oh, I said, we're going to yeah. be there in a couple weeks. This guy... Can we, can we talk about the food? First? At the Jazz Festival? At the Jazz Festival? Sure. Even though we're not going for two weeks. It you don't does, have a great app. It opens, uh, the Jazz Fest actually starts on the 25th of April, so it's two weekends. Yeah. It's going to be this weekend, and then next weekend we'll be there, and then the show will be yeah. after that. And if you're interested in uh, seeing everything and catching up with uh, all the events at uh, Jazz Fest, they have a great app, mm -hmm. the NOLA Jazz Fest app. And uh, it tells you all the foods that if you're there, you're going to be eating. And if you're not, you're going to be missing out on. Right. So I already put in my favorites for the cochon de lait. Um, po' boy. Have you had that? Mm -hmm. That's, that's oh. pig and milk. They, oh. they cook it for... For like 24 hours in this 
delicious milk and then they put it over coleslaw and this hot sauce on top and it just melts in your mouth it is incredible mm-hmm. you can pair our, our friend up. our friend Mark Ricard tried to marry a cochon de lait <laughs> sandwich de lait. yeah he he actually thought that he oh, could get permission visuals. to marry a sandwich you know uh, you can get married at jazz fest can you? I think so. I think at one point they were trying well, I suppose to. Suppose you can get married. You know, you get one of your buddies who's a preacher, and you bring them there, and you get married in front yeah. of the porta potties. Yeah. I think... Do you want to renew our vows there? No, not there. Our preacher's going to be there. Peter, the preacher's going to be there. Let's get. I re- don't know. Pitch me. Let's get remarried in the VIP bathroom. Ew. No. If you, really? If you, oh, if you, really? If you, really? You had to say that. That's disgusting. If you loved me, you would. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that later. Our next guest is someone that probably can't get anywhere near Marlon Wayans. No. Oh, Lord, no. Uh, Certainly she can't go see his movie, but she's a very, very accomplished salesperson. I want to hire her. Yeah. Yeah. She's like an ambassador of Americana. Recently, Katie Francis of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, broke the all-time record of selling Girl Scout cookies. She sold over 21,000 boxes. Yes, and the record was a little over 18,000. So she went way past that. But the record was over a year, over the course of a year. She sold it over the course of seven weeks. And she said her personal goal is to sell over 100,000 in her Girl Scout career. Do you time out of a Girl Scout? Is it like college? You I only, have no idea. You get four years and you get redshirted for a year? I have no idea. I was never a Girl Scout. Well, there must be a time clock on it because you don't see any 60-year-old Girl Scouts running around. Well, you know, she 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 sells the cookies on weekdays, has her school, does everything she has to do, and then on the weekends as well. She, like 12 to 13 hours over the weekend. Hard-working girl. <laughs> and she's very smart, too. You know she got sponsors. Yeah. She called a couple of sponsors and said, would you, a couple of restaurants and um, um Events mm-hmm. and they said, "Would you sponsor me? So if you buy six uh, boxes of cookies or twelve boxes of cookies, you get entered to win concert tickets and restaurant packages." She's a great little entrepreneur there. So she's selling concert tickets out the back door and cookies. <laughs> what a you know what she is America. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I want to hire her to you know sell stuff for me. We uh, we we tried to get her on the show, but she couldn't come on this week because she's got a school project. But we found a uh, a really cute little interview with her. So this is the new world champion Girl Scout cookie selling champ. Yep, and she is giving us a little insight into what it takes to be a business person. Right. So let's hear it out. This is Katie Francis from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Hi, I'm Katie Francis. I'm in the sixth grade and I just recently broke the world record by selling 21,477 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. Want to know how I did it? First of all, cut the dosidos and wake up. The business world is cutthroat. If you can't get your head in the game, you're going to lose. If you want to succeed, don't take no for an answer. Know your competition and be ready to take them down at a moment's notice. I have my mom read me Sun Tzu's Art of War every night before I go to bed, so I know I'm always on my game. When I make a call, people pick up the phone. That's power. Hey, it's Katie. How many boxes can I get you? 50? Why not 500? Thank you very much. That's how you land a deal. Don't be afraid to cry. You call this a quarterly report? (laughs) 
Sorry, I meant don't be afraid to make other people cry. Last but not least, remember to always believe in yourself because that's awesome. You got Katie, go. What, the White House wants 20 cases? Make that 200, I'll be right over. I have to take this. The secret to her success, <laughs> the art of war. <laughs> Right. You know I have that in my in my library. Read it and start selling some cookies. I know, right? Uh, what a cute girl. Hopefully we can get her on uh, in the upcoming weeks. I would love to talk to her and learn more about her, uh, her cookie selling secrets. Because this is not like something that has just come on board. Yeah. People have been selling Girl Scout cookies for decades. And you know what I don't like? When they set up outside a grocery store and they give you that pouty look when you're walking in. Would you please cookies? They're cute, though. I mean, I don't eat those cookies, and I would buy them just for that. Well, but that's what they count on. Which is, and it's, you know, it's all for a good cause. Yeah. Um, buy one or two. The highest selling one is a Thin Mint. Oh, no, the chocolate and the peanut butter. No, that's the highest selling one. Really? Yep, Thin Mint. Actually, there was a girl out here in California who had a great idea for selling them. Instead of setting up outside of grocery stores, she set up outside of pot dispensaries. Oh. She was getting, stoners were coming out of these pod stores, ripped to the bejesus, and she was selling cookies. I mean, that, and, and the Girl Scouts organization, I think, got a little miffed at her. Of that, course. But that's, what is she doing hanging out in those spots? Well, where was, are her parents? Her parents were with her, oh. but still, I think that's clever. You go where, you fish where the fish are. And believe me, if you're selling cookies, the fish are, <laughs> the fish are stoned. <laughs> you got to keep moving. Uh, just like our next guest. He has been moving for years and years and years. Finally tracked him down. and We're going to have a chance to talk to him today. His name is Brian Lee. He's been blind since he was four or five years old. He was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and then uh, kind of matriculated to New Orleans. And he used to have a house gig at this really great old bar right on Bourbon Street called the Old Absinthe House. And he is a phenomenal singer, a ridiculously excellent guitar player, and he's just uh, a funky white man with a long white beard. And I had the chance to go backstage and talk to him recently about Jazz Fest, about his upcoming shows there, and just about his life as a traveling musician eating his way across America. So uh, here's one of my favorites, the Blind Blues Daddy. Mr. Brian Lee. We're backstage at Jazz Fest with the Braille Blues Daddy, Brian Lee. Thanks and welcome to a Fork on the Road. Oh, it's great. Great. I remember the first time I saw you, you were playing at the old Absinthe House on Bourbon Street. Right. Right? And you grew up in Nashville? No, no, not in Nashville. I grew up actually in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Really? Born in Two Rivers, Wisconsin, a little town. Right on Lake Michigan, up from Milwaukee, about 85 miles, but uh, spent a lot of time in Milwaukee. Which is a great music town. Yes, That Summerfest is. is a really fantastic event every year. Yes, it is. Uh, right on the lake there. How, how, does a, how does a Wisconsin boy get the blues? Well, Chicago's just, just down the road. But I think, for me, uh, as a blind person... Uh, Listening to the radio late at night and picking up southern stations because, uh, like back in the 50s, uh, the radio was my friend. And sure. I started listening to, oh gee, born in 43, 
I probably was listening to the radio already in 1950, where uh, I listened to the old dramas and stuff and that, but I like tuning around and uh, picking up faraway stations and being right on the lake there, uh, a lot of the southern stations, like the 50,000 watt clear channel stations would uh, right. beam their, their, their signals, you know, straight up north. And uh, at first, I started listening to, uh, in Nashville, WSM, which was the Grand Ole Opry station. And uh, my grandpa and grandma were really big into country music and all. Were they musicians? No, my, my, my grandmother was always trying to be a musician. <laughs> and she actually had the first guitar that I ever strummed down and fooled around with. Which uh, was what? Was it just an old beat-up acoustic guitar that she had, uh, kind of fixed up to? Uh, well, she was wanting to play Hawaiian music, and uh, so she had an extra kind of crazy little metal thing over the nut, uh -huh. so the strings were high off, so she could use a a slide, of course, because Hawaiian. What she was trying to do was actually yeah yeah it was actually play slide, but she didn't realize that you know that. That, that's like a lot of guys, you know, they're raising their strings high off, off the neck to play slide, uh -huh. you know. And it was tuned to an A chord. So at four years old, she was my babysitter. And, you know, I would strum the guitar because she, you know, she laid on the bed or laying on like a footstool or something. And she didn't mind if I strummed it. And I'd be real careful, you know, because... Uh -huh. Fascinated me, you know, and uh, and you had your sight at four, correct? Yeah, I I could see, you know, fair amount, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I just thought it was just amazing, and I used to stand there, you know, I strum that thing, and my mother and dad both were singers. In fact, my mother had a chance when she was 18 years old to sing with a big band, but way back then, you had to be 21 to be an adult, and my my grandmother said, no way. <laughs> I'm not letting you go on the road with 15 men in a bus. That's just the way it is. <laughs> so she never, choice. yeah, she never got the chance. So she sang in church, and then she got involved, like in uh, the Sweet Adelines and barbershop quartets and stuff like that. But she taught me how to sing. She used to be really rough on me when I had my first little band together and stuff. And we we tape, and you know, I'd, I'd let her listen to it. And, you know, we think we had a really good tape, but I'd say, like, Ma, what do you think of this? No, 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 the music's too loud. I can't hear the singing that well. You need to turn the music down under the singing. People want to hear the singing. Right. So we'd make another tape, and I'd say, what do you think of this? Well, I can hear the singing now, but I can't understand the words. Oh, Brian, that's a terrible note there. You didn't hold out that note. So she... And this is your grandmother? No, this was my mom. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, she she used her, her singing expertise on me to teach Kick me how to sing. And she used to say, you know, she'd like, like kind of do me in the belly like this, not hard or anything, but she'd go, Brian, stop trying to sing from your throat. You'll lose your voice. How did you develop your singing style? Well, it's funny. My father was really into Mario Alonzo. Uh-huh. And like I said earlier about... You know, you have to learn how to breathe to sing blues just like an opera singer has to learn how to breathe. And I used to listen to those records even though I didn't really like them. Uh, I realized that 
to sing with that power, uh, you had to learn how to breathe. So I hadn't heard the blues yet, but also kind of interestingly, both my mother and my dad loved the big bands. Uh -huh. And so they had a lot of big band records and I was listening to to Woody Herman and, and uh, even, even they even had some, some Louis Jordan. Mm. And so that, I kind of really kind of liked Louis Jordan. I remember I was going to uh, Catholic school at the time. That's where the blues come from. <laughs> I went to 12 years of Catholic school myself. Well, you That'll know, do it to you. Back, back then, yeah, because sometimes those nuns, you know, they could be pretty strict and all. Yes. But I asked my nun if I could bring, she would play, you know, records and stuff and for us kids when we had like our, oh, our, our, our fun time, as right. it were, you know. And I asked if I could bring some of my records to school. And she said, okay. So I brought a, a couple Louis Jordan 78s. And she put one on. And all the kids started laughing. Really? They thought, they just couldn't deal with this, you know? Because we were like, I guess I was like in maybe second grade or something. It's and a pretty hip kid to be listening yeah, to Louis yeah, Jordan exactly. in second grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the other kids, they wanted to listen to kids' records, you know? They uh -huh. didn't. And they all started laughing. And the nun goes, well, that's a rather strange music for you to be listening to. She said, that's adult music. I said, I know. I love it. And she had to take it off because nobody wanted to listen to it. And I remember walking home that night after school going, why don't they want to listen to that? I love it. It's really great. Yeah. I don't like that kid stuff. That, that's all stupid. And That's odd that the Catholic Church would actually want to control what people think. So odd. Well, <laughs> it was just that. It, that. It's certainly an odd piece of music. For an eight-year-old or what, however you well, old. Well, exactly. Grade, yeah. I mean, there wasn't anything. Nobody was trying to control anything. It was just that the kids were. I was just more advanced. My 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 whole attitude of music, my vocabulary was a whole lot <laughs> larger than right. theirs, you know. And I was the minority of one versus about. I think there was about twenty kids in the class, so I was. Outnumbered 19 to 1. Well, what are you going to do? You know? <laughs> right. But as things went on, I think I was about 10 years old. And one night I found this station uh, from, from Nashville, but on the other end of the dial. And they were playing about 8 o'clock at night. They would start playing black music. And they had a lot of sponsors that were aimed for black people. And they had... Um, you know, record stores that were mail order that uh, sponsored the programs, and I had started really getting into Chuck Berry, uh -huh. who was who at that time was still considered black music. Yeah, yeah, didn't crossed and, over yet. Yeah, and uh, Little Richard and Fats Domino, mm. and you know that's that's where I started kind of breaking away from my country music that I was listening to, and and the problem was that I had moved to Milwaukee yet and so in Two Rivers we had a record store but it, let's say if I wanted to get Tutti Fruity by Little Richard I had to settle for Tutti Fruity by Pat Boone you know, we weren't, <laughs> a little bit different if, yeah 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 you know so anyhow uh, you know they were playing you know the the black 
R&B and you know blues and soul and mm-hmm. I, I you know I heard Chuck Berry then from there I heard uh, BB and Freddie and Albert and Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters I remember the first time I heard Howlin' Wolf I think I was about 11 years old and, and that, yeah that and then that that deep deep voice uh, that he had it scared me at first you know he could sing the panties off a nun yeah yeah he could but to me an 11 year old kid it was like jeez you know so primal yeah and especially yeah. I would imagine I've read a lot about the, the way they recorded at uh, chess yeah just in a big room yeah with just emotion and and players that knew what they were doing and, right and, and it, it, it comes through you yeah. can, you can hear it yeah is that how you record now do you, do you record all live or do you chop it up and do it well modern style? I was uh, the record company that I was with out of uh, Montreal Quebec for 18 years actually we did it that way and in fact uh, the last three albums that I did Duke Robillard was my producer he's touring with Bob Dylan now that's what I heard yeah terrific yeah. Uh, those albums were were that way you know mm-hmm. but I had signed a contract with uh, seven records out of Annapolis and unfortunately when we got in the studio it, it's all chopped up it, it, it's you know it was on the computer mm-hmm. and instead of like saying geez right there I want to punch in those few notes on the guitar and it was like no, no, that's okay. Just do the whole thing again. Uh-huh. And so you had like, you know, 15 guitar solos, and then he would just take notes from this one and that other track and this track here, and it's like put a guitar solo together where... On a computer? Yes. Where that's, it's like, it's not me anymore. It's him being the artist, the engineer, uh-huh. you know, or the he was also the producer. And um, when I finally, I, I recorded it in December of 2011. And uh, since then, they added horns and they added uh, some uh, violins and, and cellos on a couple tunes and stuff. But like with, with, with uh, Just In Time, the label I was on in Montreal, I was, I was hands-on on everything. I wanted to get with an American label because, unfortunately, I loved the label I was on, but they just didn't know how to promote it in the United uh-huh. States. They promote it well in Canada, but and they, they, they were good in Europe. But one of the reasons why they were interested in me is they were a jazz and blues label, and they wanted to get into the United States. So they happened to be down in uh, New Orleans on a convention. And we all thought it was a very good idea, and they were wonderful people to work with. Did they see you at the old Absinthe House? Yes, exactly. Let's, but, let's talk about that gig. Okay. That's, that's how I first uh, was introduced to you. Sure. You were there. For the, the old, first of all, the old Absinthe House is now a stupid daiquiri shop on yes, Bourbon it is. Street. Yeah. But it used to be a great, iconic, divey New Orleans bar right on Bourbon Street. And you had a stage in the back of this big long right. room yeah. and you held court every night for 13 years and you actually it was 14 and a half excuse me 14 yeah. and a half and every night you kicked the shit out of every other player on the street I remember walking in had no idea who you were I'm walking down the street and I hear this guitar sound <laughs> and I literally turned my head around I'm like who the hell is that guy 
and we came in and just blew me away. How did you get that gig? You must have had everyone in the world coming to see you there. Did you have some cool experiences? Talk about that for a second. Oh, wow. I mean, it, I'll tell you what, it, it was cool experience. Uh, I met some great actors uh-huh. there and some great players, and a lot of players sat in with us. Uh, Your live record with uh, where Kenny Wayne Shepherd yeah, plays with you, yeah, that flip-flop yeah. and fly cut yeah, is yeah. on fire. That's a great, yeah, great yeah, cut. Yeah, you know, and I didn't really like that. That was on a Saturday Night Live, and I really didn't like the Saturday Night Live because, to me, it was a lot of outtakes. But then, oh, no. as uh, as a couple of years went on, I went back and listened to it, and I said, you know what? There's a lot of good guitar work between me and Kenny and yeah. Frank. And, you know, it, 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 for the guy who likes guitar... It's really a great guitar. It album. is a monster record. It's called yeah. Live from the Old Absinthe House. It's a two-record set. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, uh, it, as 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 well as you can, it captured the energy of your live shows there. Yes, it, it was. Did. It just uh, fantastic, scorching guitar solos, great voice, really tight, tight band. Yes, it was. Uh, I'm a harmonica player, and oh. I'll, I'll throw that like if I'm board I'll put that on the thing and I'll try and play along with it and uh, the guy that you had playing on the record uh, okay leg beat was good yeah yeah and James Cotton showed up so well James Cotton uh, those two not the two tunes he did on Friday and it was so funny that the, the night he uh, recorded with us that Friday uh, he came over from the hotel and uh, you know he's getting ready and stuff and here comes his wife and going James 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 she brought his false teeth. He forgot his false teeth. Say, he's got no teeth and, 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 you know, he can't blow up with all his, his false teeth. And we were thinking that was so funny, you know. <laughs> who, else, who else came and sat in with you during that gig that you can recall? Most of everybody in B.B. King's band. Uh, guys from Little Richard's band. B.B. Uh, King came in one night and listened to us. Uh, Eric Clapton came in. He never sat in. Sting sat in with us. Uh... Uh, what's her name? Uh, Cindy Lauper and her band sat in with us. Oh, Neil Giraldo, he's a good guitar player. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, geez, uh, Rick Derringer. Uh, oh, boy, there's there was a lot of them. Um, so now, are you touring? You used to be based exclusively in New Orleans. Now you're touring all over the world, all over the United States? Yeah, we tour quite a lot because... Uh, there just isn't that kind of work anymore. I had a house gig for about three years at another club in the 100 block of Bourbon called The Saloon. Mm-hmm. But that went down last April because the, uh, the uh, oh geez, uh, the Hard Rock Cafe and the Hyatt Regency, they uh, dumped $50 million on the city uh. and they bought that block. And so the people I was working for had like three businesses in that huge building on the first floor. And that went to the Hard Rock. And the second and third floor, of course, is now a new Hyatt Regency hotel. Mm -hmm. And sad but true, uh, the people that I was working for had two other clubs on the street with music. But they didn't want to change their top 40 formats yeah. and I was without work and uh, I mean I toured 
you know, I, I after the absinthe bar, I realized that you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket because if you live with the idea that that job's never going to end, you're a dreamer. Right. And if you're out on the street, uh, I mean, you look at it today, how many people have worked for companies for a long, long time and the way the economy is now and how many businesses have just, you know, right. closed their you doors. You can't count and, that anymore. Yeah, well, it's and, good, though, because now you're traveling so people that yeah. haven't been to New Orleans yeah. can see you. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You lived so long here in New Orleans, you get used to that great food. As you travel to other cities, are there certain cities that you that you look forward to for the uh, yeah for the food? What are they? Where do you like to go to eat? Chicago. Yeah. What do you like and there? New York. What do you like in Chicago? Pizza. Deep. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite? Now this, I'm on the, I'm on television in Chicago, so think carefully before you answer this question, because you're immediately going to piss off a third, two thirds of the city. No, I I don't. My favorite pizza is Paisano's Pizza, which is not that's, one of the bigger chains. No, that's good. I like it. Yeah, I don't really. I can't really say one place. It's all good. It's all yes, great. it's all good. It's yeah. just like. Uh, I mean, there's just for me a lot of times. If they don't tell me the name of the place, being that I'm blind, I don't know the name of the place. So somebody can say, "Oh, Brian Lee, you're copping an attitude here. You're just." You know, you're begging off, but... No, I hear you. Yeah. You know? All you've like, got is your tongue, right? You can't yeah, see what you are. It makes uh, sense. You know, a place that knocks me out, I, I had some great food, yeah. is, is a little joint called a birdcage. And it, it was in this little town in Arizona that we played. And do you know, I can't even remember the name of the town. <laughs> I remember the name of the place. Prescott. It, what was it? Prescott, Prescott, Arizona. Prescott, yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever been to Gus's Fried Chicken in Memphis? No. I think it is. I think it's the best fried chicken in America. Have you been? Yeah. It's is it, Have you been? It's, it's a cinder block shack. It's a shit hole. But the chicken and the attitude there—they're surly. But the chicken, oh my god! Are you playing Memphis in May this year? Uh, yeah, we're gonna be there. Yeah, we're gonna be there for the take Blues em. Awards. Take them oh. to uh, take them to Gus's. You'll love it. You'll okay. love it. All right, well, great. Thanks. I don't want to take up any more of your time. All right. Pleasure All right. talking to you. Have a Good. great show tonight. Can you imagine how hard it would be to, to, to... Being a musician and traveling is hard enough, but doing it if you can't see anything? I think that would be incredibly scary and daunting. And uh, as he told us, he and his wife, Bethany, they, they uh, form a pretty powerful pair and... Uh, I don't want to say he's seen the world, because he hasn't, but he's been to the world. Well, he's seen it in his own way. And he translates that into music. He's really a uh, very gifted guitar player, and if you get a chance to see him, go do it. It's Brian Lee, B-R-Y-A-N-L-E-E. You can check him out at brianlee.com. You can also check him out at Jazz Fest uh, this weekend and next weekend. And uh, you can check us out. All over America this summer, we're going to be traveling a couple times a month at least, doing live shows all over. So come out and see us. You can come and say hello. Stay current with us. Go to our website, which is a forkontheroadshow.com. We'll put a calendar up there so you can see where we're going to be, when. We're going to be uh, in Chicago and Georgia and New Orleans in the next couple months. So come out and visit us. Uh, next week, we'll be coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia, and our studios here in L.A., with our special guest, Jimmy Palumbo. We're going to do some ballpark food. We're going to talk about music and travel. And then two weeks from now, we're going to be doing a remote broadcast from 
Jazz and Heritage Festival in New Orleans. But until then, I'm Mark DiCarlo. And I'm Traveling Diva. And we'll see you on a fork on the road.